Hi, I'm Kevin Jonas Sr., and you're listening to the legendary I Lived It podcast. Today is unique. Uh, I'm actually going to be in the hot seat and take some questions. Trust me, I don't think I'm a legend, and I don't think I've had very many legendary moments. But I do have a lot of memories, and I've enjoyed the ride that I've been on throughout. So I have asked one of my favorite people in the world, Olivia Summerlin, to join and actually throw some questions at me. Uh, I've had the privilege of working with some great artists. I've had my own career. Uh, and I think part of what really is important to me with this entire podcast is that we give an opportunity for people to see behind the scenes. Uh, I appreciate the people that are on the stage actually delivering the music. I appreciate the songwriters, the producers, the music directors, the lighting guys, the studio geeks. Uh, all of it means something to me. I can geek out over a microphone and a microphone chain, and I can enjoy the songwriting process and pain that comes along with it. Uh, but rather than just talk, I thought it would be good to have someone ask me some questions, and we'll see if it has any value or not, but uh, I pray it does, and I pray it encourages and uh, hopefully instructs. Most of all, uh, Olivia, thank you for taking the hot seat and actually throwing some zingers at me. Thank you so much for letting me do this. I mean, you I was going to say you're one of my favorite people in the world, so I'm honored that that is reciprocated. <laughs> Absolutely. But really, you are a legend. I don't want you to sell yourself short at all. Um, and, you know, it's so funny you're saying, "Oh, I hope, you know, I hope it has some merit." But every time that we talk, it really just it feels like, you know, one of the most inspirational conversations and you do have just so many stories. So in thinking about what to ask you, it's I mean, I could really there are just endless things. But I guess going back to the beginning, um, I'm really curious because I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but what is it that brought you into the music industry in the very beginning? Like, I mean, there's so many things that you could do and you're obviously expanding into other things now. And, um, but it's always interesting, like that unique story for everybody of why they, why they went down this road. Well, similar to my kids, um, I started singing when I was really young. So I, I think my first solo, I was seven years old. Uh, of course, it was in a church setting, and I had been at church camp my first year, and there was a worship song, and I brought it back and taught it to the congregation. And then I, I kind of became known as the little kid in the <laughs> in the green suit. you know. So I was the kid that would walk around singing everywhere, and I sang in school and other things. Uh, it was a journey to get to the actual music business. I dreamed of it from the time I was young and prepared for it. But there weren't many paths uh, for me to make it in the music business from a small town in the South in the U.S. Uh, and I think my first real entrance into the music business was probably when I was in college. And it was more my drive. I just decided I'm going to make a tape. You know, they weren't CDs at the time. They were actually tapes, yeah. <laughs> cassette tapes. Uh, but, and we recorded to tapes. It was analog. And I, I had some people that had said they would buy my music if I ever oh. put it out. So I grabbed a few friends that were talented and we all just went in the studio and literally one take <laughs> just recorded. 
And then I put it out and started selling that and found out pretty quickly how many people did not want my music. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not that simple. <laughs> it's not as simple. Yeah. And and that was my entrance into the music business was actually probably disappointment. Uh, That's relatable. <laughs> yeah. And I think for people, I, I, I had all these people tell me that, you know, they would, of course, support me. And I had a few people that did, one family in particular that said they would fund whatever project I did, and they did, limited budget. Mm. And it was, when I'd say one take, live musicians hooked them up, one take vocal, me in one room, drums in another, isolated, and we would put entire songs down. There weren't, there was no pitch correction at the time. Mm -hmm. We just recorded. And when I put it out, and it was kind of, you know, worship music and Christian music and some songs from my heart, and we put it out, I don't think I sold 30 copies. <laughs> yeah. And I'd spent my entire life singing, and I let everybody know back home, and I realized pretty quick, you know, how out of sight, out of mind, mm-hmm. and how disappointing it can be. Uh, and I had to learn to hustle. You know, I had to really work it. And, you know, I found out later that people were making copies of oh, no. those 36 CDs, like thousands of copies. So in some ways, I was a viral hit. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Before we knew what viral was, like I, I, the original. I have one lady uh, that came, uh, really sweet lady, uh, and she came and she was an international student, and she came and she said, "My entire village loves your music," and I said. What? That's incredible. How did they find my music? She said, well, I went home, I bought one copy, and I made copies for everyone in my village. And Denise, my wife, (laughs) had just gone through a period of time where she said, Kevin, I love you, and I'm committed to you, but we ran out of toilet paper today. (laughs) I remember that story. And so we were out of toilet paper, like nothing. And then I find out that all these people, and it turned out there were a lot of people. And my dream was that my music would go around the world. What I didn't realize is that it would be illegally manufactured <laughs> and copied all over the world. And our entire community was encouraged by your music, and I had no money. I, I couldn't pay the light bill. I couldn't oh. pay. And and my poor wife, and we were young, I mean, we we couldn't afford anything like we shared a straw at mcdonald's like two straws in an orange juice mm-hmm. was our date night and uh, uh it was my first real experience with how hard it is uh, and so working with artists today i totally get it they think i think many times that i don't get it but like really deeply it can be really unfair and and yet encouraging at the same time. And and because it was in the Christian world, she actually came and she said, my entire tribe came to faith. Wow. And it was like, well, that's incredible. Uh, Could you pay me a residual fee, just (laughs) even a small little piece, (laughs) so I can pay a bill or two? Uh, And that was my entrance, I think, into the actual music business. Now, I'd studied it throughout mm-hmm. my life, but that w- that was where I realized that a lot of things had to come together. Uh, and anytime I talk to new artists, 
you think there's going to be a lot of streams in today's uh, music industry. How many? Because if you have a thousand or less, that might be the equivalent of seven singles. Right. It's and pretty unbelievable. It's pretty unbelievable. Well, it's funny that you you know bring up that story because people like to talk about uh, you know the streaming problem like it's a new thing with music, but it sounds like it was like a new problem for the music industry and for musicians. But it sounds like this was happening long before there was a you know the internet to consider. Well, you yeah, absolutely. We could tape songs off of the radio. Mm-hmm. and we would record them into these tiny little recorders, you know, and, and it was cassette tapes that you would put inside. My children have hardly ever seen that. Their <laughs> children will never see that except in a museum. But for us, we would put it in. We could tape the radio. We could copy music if we had the right connector cords yeah. from a phonograph to a tape and from a tape. And that loss of quality really mattered for those of us that appreciated that but yeah we i think illegal copying of music has been happening really for as long as we've had popular music and maybe beyond uh and i i think in today's world people share music in the ways we probably playlisted music or we would make our own mixtapes right right so it, it it is similar yeah, that's so interesting. That's funny. I was I was also going to ask you if any of you know your kids were around at that time, um, you know, because because another one of my questions, and I've heard some great stories about all of them when they were young and their first sort of musical moments. But can you tell us what was when did you realize that they were as talented and and you know prolific as they are? Well, when it comes to my children, I think the first one was Nick, and he was three years old. And as many times as I tell the story, it's still like I can close my eyes and I can see him walking down the hall. And as he's walking down the hall, and I was working with college students and musicians and especially vocalists, and he's walking down the hall, and every day he would wake up and he would sing. And that was really amazing. Like we would lay in bed, and you could hear him in the other room in that high soprano voice that (laughs) young boys have perfectly in tune, perfectly in pitch, just making up music or singing songs that he knew. And one day we were observing, and he was walking down the hallway, and he kind of hit a la, 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 la. (laughs) And he hit a little bum note, which is normal for all of us. And he looked confused. (laughs) And he backed up like literally he took steps backwards and then he started walking forward la 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 and his eyebrows lifted and he tilted his head and he reached up for the note and he shook his head yes and kept walking and i went oh my god that's the cutest thing (laughs) i I turned around to, to denise i said this one is beyond us this one is beyond me and so we went into his room and took out his tape of lullabies and put in Stevie Wonder's Definitive Collection, <laughs> which was pivotal later on. But we put in that that cassette tape, and our discussion was, he needs more than simple melodies. Mm-hmm. Like, he he needs to have more input. So, so that was really the first time I noticed that there was a talent in music that I identified with, 
I started singing when I was young. And so that was a moment that we really had to pay attention to. And with Joe, it was a little slower. You know, Joe Joe specifically would say, I want to be a comedian. (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he was hilarious, like Jim Carrey type funny, Mm -hmm. outgoing. Uh, We went to visit my mom and my stepdad at one point, and we have this video of Joe. If I can find it, we'll put it on this episode. (laughs) And it was of him just making up a story about going through the line and riding a roller coaster and all of the facial expressions of people around him. And it was (laughs) unbelievable. But he would say, I don't want to be in an opera and I don't want to be in a musical because Nick had already started on Broadway. And then later on, he ended up in an opera on Broadway. (laughs) But prior to that, we're driving down the road one time and it was a Britney Spears song and we're driving down just casually and he starts singing along and I went Joe you have a beautiful voice and he went I know oh <laughs> and I said well would you like to do this he said I don't know if I'd like to do it but maybe I said okay well if you ever want to do it I'm here he said okay and it was oh. that casual but he had a beautiful voice he just with Joe like even coaching him for soccer <laughs> like the other kids Nick was a like he was an animal I'd have to take Nick out about every two minutes because the team, the other team needed a break from (laughs) Nick because he was so aggressive and so intense. And Joe would go and kick the ball to the other team. It would be like, Joe, you're supposed to kick. This is a soccer ball, football in many nations. Like, you're supposed to kick to your team or in the goal. And he would say, I know, but that kid needed a chance. That is the sweetest thing. So he was really mellow. And really easygoing, and he was really had such a tender heart that music really came after Mm. some other things. And after he saw that, really, when he saw that Nick was surrounded by other kids, like Nick, when he started on Broadway, he found his tribe, Mm. Mm -hmm. right? These kids are like me. All those kids had, like, boxes of costumes in their bag. Did you? Oh, yeah. So you had boxes of costumes. I still do. Are you kidding? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's one area where I completely never. I've so never had funny. a box of costumes. Oh, yeah. I really do to this day. Oh, that's funny. Well, he had his box. Joe, until he saw, like, this is a cool hang. Yeah. And once Joe saw costume that it was... Costume parties are fun. It, that it was like, oh, this is a cool hang. These kids are cool. Mm. That That was when he made the shift. Now, Kevin... He actually ended up getting hurt. Kevin always chose kind of interesting sports, and he was doing gymnastics and pole vaulting and all that. But when he was doing gymnastics, he actually ended up getting hurt, and there was a season of time that he he couldn't go to school. He was, even in his sleep, he would just like groan, and it was, we couldn't figure out what it was. And and we, we were going from doctor to doctor, and he would just, even in bed asleep, uh, like it was That's terrible. pitiful. During that time, he picked up a teach yourself guitar mm. and he picked up the guitar and started playing. And he just learned how to strum and learned how to pick a little bit and became a really proficient, like acoustic guitar player, a rhythm guitar player. And that, that was his entrance into it. And it came out of an injury, but then, you know, them coming together, that would, that was later, but those early moments where you just realized 
there's definitely something here. And now Frankie coming along and the grandkids yeah. coming along. You know, Frankie, his was all academics, but there was always lyrical and melodic stuff. And his his interest in the behind the scenes part of it was really what thrilled him. He he liked that the electronics piece. Yeah. But even in the crib, like oh. my granddaughters and you know, four boys and now five granddaughters, they are melodic. They, That's amazing. They mimic pitch. And it it catches my ear as a musician, like, oh, like this is real. Like it's in yeah. the DNA. So I like finding it early. Uh, that's a thrill for me. Well, it's interesting because it does sound like with everybody, it, it came so organically. And, um, you know, obviously there's would be some parents, um, musical or non-musical, that would have an idea of like, oh, this is what, you know, my child should be and what they should be doing. But it's so interesting that you guys were so hands-off about it, but they all just found their way to it in the most perfect way. Well, I didn't want to push it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, later when we saw the stage moms for Broadway and the stage dads for, and the momagers and dadagers, we really did not want to be those Mm -hmm. people. Uh, And I think for the most part, we did a pretty good job of not being the crazy parents. Oh, no. They they exist. Like I've dealt with those crazy parents, especially the first experience was on Broadway. So we were really careful. And because... It was so much a part of our life. You know, they grew up in our van. So, mm-hmm. like, we were traveling, and it was kind of an airport shuttle van. We mm-hmm. we had, a like, a trailer in the back filled with equipment, and I would drive the van, and it, it was comfortable enough that this was a college band, and it had tons of vocal members. And they would literally watch the kids and then pass to the next group member. And wow. as... We were all on stage from the time they were young. Like, they were observing us on stage. Right. Original songs being performed. Our yearly, you know, recording that we did. We did a big live recording with the the uh, institute that I was a part of. You know, we would do this live recording that really went all over the world. It's amazing. And without distribution, it was word of mouth, and it was exciting. So, So they saw that, and they were around it. But it was later, after we left that real uh, concentration, that they started showing the evidence of it in them. And we didn't want to push it. But unlike a lot of parents that are trying to live musical success through their kids, (laughs) for me it became like them pushing me to get them in it. And them pushing my wife and I to get into... And and really, Broadway was a good avenue uh, yeah. for that for them, uh, but there was no stopping them, even at that age. Like Nick, at three years old, standing on a coffee table with a turkey baster, <laughs> and my mother-in-law walked in. Nick, you need to get down. He's like, No, Mama, I'm practicing for Broadway at three. That is amazing. At seven, he booked and he knew. His, he knew. He knew. Well, Nick. Nick had a way of knowing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he kind of mapped out his path, and you probably were not going to get in his way. <laughs> well, it's really interesting how they all, even in these stories, you know, of the origin of their kind of um, interest in music, they all had their strengths that came together. 
so well. And there's one of the things when you talked about Frankie and you know his interest in, in the behind the scenes aspect. I remember you saying how Kevin actually was really interested in the stage performance and what sets would look like oh, and I used to how love stages that. would work. So Kevin would take like cardboard <laughs> and duct tape it together and build what would eventually be the set for an arena show. It's so cool. I uh, and he learned how to do CAD drawings. Like he 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 built it and taped it and he I remember vividly in Mexico there was this couch and it was circular and then the bottom part where you would sit was round mm -hmm. and rounded and it was circular and he was trying to describe what was going on in his mind he said you know we we need a video screen that's different it can't just be a flat screen we're going to have this was a an arena and stadium run he said it can't be a flat screen we're in the middle we need it to be circular mm -hmm. and he was looking around he couldn't quite communicate it and he had the crew grab this couch with this back flip it upside down and hold it up to the ceiling. And he said, this is one screen and inside is another screen. So you had the part that was your where your back would go yeah. and then where you would sit down. This round part at the bottom, that's our top screen. And then what would descend from it was the second screen. And he said, if we do it right, it will descend from the heavens and then drop the cone and we will be on a platform, a spaceship. And he built it out. Oh, my gosh. With runways. And he said, we will come up from the floor. But what it will look like is that a spaceship of video screens delivers us and drops us onto the platform. That's amazing. You remember that, tour? I totally remember that. I remember this it, story. It's incredible. It was a round couch in Mexico. That's and he so literally wild. turned it upside down <laughs> and had them hold it to the wall. And that screen went on to be in most EDM shows. I think several. I remember once with uh, the Burning Up tour, mm -hmm. Kevin was the one that was like, we need chasing fire. And we were like, what are you talking about? We need chasing fire, like fire that will run around the stage and then boom, blow up with a JB symbol. Wow. In his head. And I think it was Metallica that took that gag out after. Well, I was going to say, I can't, I mean, well, that's incredible. I'm still reeling with the now EDM shows use this that Kevin came up with. I mean, that's incredible. And Metallica. Almost, <laughs> almost every stage gag that we did, you know, Kevin and or the guys, but predominantly Kevin on, on from the sense of like, what can we do? I don't know if you remember, we had, it, it, Taylor Swift had this flat wall and as the rain would mm. fall in this flat wall of rain, you could write things in it. Oh, uh -huh. so Kevin's concept was since we're in the round, let's let's make this curtain of water that you can write on circular. And everybody said, you can't do it, you can't do it, can't do it. Did we do it? Of course. For Love Bug on that tour, and there were there were images and music notes that were descending as they were playing right in the climax of that That's song. Incredible. And that all came out of Kevin's head. But that's the thing. It's all the strengths of yours and all of theirs. It's it's it's. I really have zero incredible. technical skills. <laughs> when we got married, my wife said, "Kevin, my dad could do everything, and you can't change a light bulb." <laughs> I said, "But I can sing." 
<laughs> well, that's romantic. <laughs> Sometimes until you can't change a light bulb. And it wasn't mm. the light bulb, really. It was the fixture. Right, right. The fixtures. Oh, okay. Well, that's... The fixtures are tough. <laughs> I mean, it's sounding like a how many, you know, Jonas's does it take? A, not a light bulb. <laughs> it's a light fixture. Yes. Okay? Well, I think Kevin, <laughs> Kevin could change a light bulb. Kevin could do it all by himself. I think all of my kids can change a light bulb. I'm the only <laughs> one that is completely deficient of any technical skill at all. And for me, even a remote for a TV is like, I just want to push one button. These just make, days, you know. make the one button, turn it on. And if that doesn't work, then I'm, I'm, I'm screwed. <laughs> That's why we have Kevin around. <laughs> we, we have Kevin. And Kevin, you know, he's done construction. He's done a whole ton of things. But. It's really amazing how much all of you have done, um, you know, stemming from music, but then just various things with the restaurant too. We, as a family, are dreamers. Ab That's a great way to put it. Absolutely. Uh, and and I think I hope we had a part in the fearless part of them that you know if you dream it you can achieve it well, mentality. Uh, I know we're probably also a bit of the fear, uh, mm. you know, because I worried a lot about my kids, and I think sometimes I worried too much. Uh, and so if I have you know any regrets, it's just that I was a worry wart for at the height of their career. I spent a lot of time thinking about the pressure that they were under and feeling the pressure they were under. Sometimes I think I felt it as much as them. Certain areas, I probably felt it more than them. Mm. Uh, and so that's just not healthy to live in. Uh, so if I have a regret, it's that knowing what I know now, I probably wouldn't. But but as far as the dream part of it, yeah, I, I have always felt like I had a sense of calling you know, Definitely. and that sounds so spiritual, and for me it was, but... A it turned sense, out to be true. It turned out to be true. <laughs> Very yeah. true. And, you know, I, in my world, like growing up in a church that was a kind of charismatic church, non-denominational was my background, and that there was always a sense that, you know, God is moving, and you can tap into that, and some people, not, not me, like I've never heard a voice or anything, mm -hmm. but there are some people who... They communicate like they're tapped in. And this one person came and they said, you're going to do music and it's going to go all over the world. Wow. And back to the cassette tape, <laughs> sometimes that <laughs> doesn't happen the way you expect it to happen. Yeah. <laughs> like you oh, don't expect yeah. illegal copying of your music <laughs> to be the way it goes all over the world. But it did. It did go all over but the world. It, so. But in its greater <laughs> expression, it did through my kids. Exactly. And it did through the next generation, and it did through, you know, worship songs I wrote that churches mm -hmm. do, still some churches do around the world. My expectation was that I would be the guy. Right. Uh, and my life has become, I'm the guy that helps others be the guy or the girl. Right, because again, that's such a good point to another question or so many to, uh, tangents to go down about all the different artists you've worked with because it really hasn't just been your kids. And I don't know if, if everyone's really aware of how many different artists you've had a huge role in developing. You know, I'm fortunate. And uh, I'm also fortunate that most of them uh, have really carved out a place in my heart, mm -hmm. you know, varying degrees of success, but I've had quite a few mountaintops and Definitely. I've had a, 
a larger number of valleys. Um, but, you know, the mountaintops have been encouraging. You know, my kids especially, uh, other artists that I've had the privilege of working with. Uh, it's never an easy journey, but, you know, I've had numerous artists on the charts, and you included. <laughs> uh, two number ones with you on the club dance I chart. wasn't thinking of me. <laughs> but... No, but that's that's a mountaintop. Like, there, mm -hmm, there, there's no billboard chart that you top that doesn't mean something. Doesn't and we've had that mm -hmm. discussion you know, when you're in it, it doesn't feel big and it doesn't feel there. But being on the chart is an achievement. I think we've talked about this Definitely. a lot. Definitely, yeah. Where the people who actually make music, that's a, that's a segment of the population that can and do it well. But the people who sign, the very smallest percentage of people that actually get signed. And then from that... 90% don't release music, right. only 10% do. And of those achieving any chart success, but to actually top any chart. So I've, I've had you, my sons, and other artists, Demi, Jordan Sparks, and others that have, that have really done well. Uh, I've worked with actors, actresses. Mm -hmm. I've, I, you know, I'm fortunate, and I love it. And I think part of that, the transition for me happened, like I, I was working at the school that I attended, and that yearly tape was now mine. It was actually, mm. you know, there, there was a song called As the Deer, and it's a worship chorus. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. And it's kind of a mix. It's a King James rendering, and so a, a friend of mine, Marty Nystrom, he wasn't my friend at the time, mm -hmm. wrote this song, and I heard it on a cassette tape. And I knew that night, that's where I want to go to school. Like, that's where they do that. That's where I want to go. And later to be his friend and, and be able to do things with him, I recently did like a worship gathering with him. And it, it, it really rocked me. So now I'm the guy that's leading the music there, and it's my time. And, and we had daily uh, gatherings with the student body, 2,000, 2,500 people that every morning you're the guy that leads them in music. And it's experiential and it's wonderful and I'm writing songs and the team around me are writing songs and we all know we're coming up on a big, big moment. I actually felt like, okay, this is it. Oh, wow. And then one morning I wake up and I have this sense that the key song, it was a song I wrote with a friend of mine at the time and it was uh, Mighty River was the name of the song. Come as a mighty river, upbeat and congregational and all. And I woke up and I felt like I was supposed to give it to one of my students to sing on the recording that was mine. Hmm. My time to finally shine. And it was like, no. And I felt like it was coming from above. So it was like, all due respect, but no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it was persistent. Hmm. I don't know if you've ever felt that. Yeah, I see what you mean. But I'm not somebody that walks around feeling like I sense things. <laughs> and I really did grow up in a world where that happened a lot. And I know people, like a friend of mine yeah. that passed away from COVID, like hmm. that guy like heard <laughs> direction from the spiritual realm. Like that, wow. that I'm pretty linear. <laughs> this was pretty strong for me. And it was give it to Matt. And oh, I fought it. Like not even a day or two. Like, it was like, no, no, no. And the more I said no, the more it was like, 
I must. So I sat him down and I said, over to you. And then I felt this sense of relief. Went a couple weeks longer and another big song on the record. And these are half of the songs there were songs I wrote or co-wrote. And it was like, give this one away and give this one away. And it was so consistent that I finally just said, great. I thought this was going to be the big year, and I think it is, and it's about other people and not me. That's so interesting. What happened, however, and, and worship leaders, that's a, that's a thing. It's a designation. And maybe we were early in this, but what happened is I gave all my favorites away except one song that I really knew was mine to sing and play on. At the end of it, that that cassette, that recording, when I say blew up, like word of mouth, you know, we had no distribution. It was all people ordering it and doing the songs. It got radio airplay as a live recording, and in our world, that was unheard of. So it was starting to really happen, and different movements were picking up. The record that I gave away the best, no one said, look at all those worship leaders. They said, Kevin Jonas, now senior, Kevin Mm -hmm. Jonas Sr., is a great worship leader. Yeah. And it was a real moment of revelation for my whole life. Like, when I give away, when I lend, when I promote others, I'm elevated. And I've tried to carry that throughout my life, but that was the moment where it really sunk in. And I traveled the world on the back of a record that I gave all my favorite things away. I literally traveled the world. That was when it blew up. That I would fly to Indonesia, I'd fly to Malaysia, I'd go to Europe, and I would train other musicians. And Aww. so, so that that was really it for me, where. It was important for me. So in the people that I worked with and the people I still work with, I go up if if I give to them, you know, and I, I improve and there are opportunities and I, I don't go into it thinking that. That's just the reality. Yeah. It's like sowing and reaping. It's like karma. You know, what you <laughs> do good comes back to you. And, and, you know, we have this section of Scripture that's like, you know, you, you throw the bread on the water, it comes back multiplied times. Like, uh-huh. it, 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 it's this concept of, uh, you know, lending your strength and reaping the harvest. And so so that, that really is kind of why I do it, and my satisfaction now is being invisible. I, like, at this point in my life, I can't be invisible. I'm the father of the Jones Yeah, that's brothers. the thing. You're really not. <laughs> yeah, and but that's the point, is that... When they first went in the studio and I could help them and I could actually sing some of the songs, mm-hmm. I really hung back. And if they called me, I'd go in the studio, I'd sing a guide track for them before they were singing their own harmonies. Wow. Most of the time, though, I was sitting in the corner. <laughs> I was doing some work over on the side. Yeah. And if I was called on, great. Uh, even down to the songwriting, like letting them do it uh, made it even more encouraging. So... I don't know what it's like, you know, it's, as a grandfather now, I kind of get it, but watching your students and your children and artists like yourself, like live the dream, it's the best satisfaction. Well, I know we talk about this all the time, but 
when they're touring, you know, when they have shows or anybody that you're working with, and I'm sure especially them, not just because they're your kids, but just because how huge they are and the fan response during their shows. I mean, I even feel it. Um, we talk about this where we look back rather than, you know, even at oh. the stage and just seeing everybody's enthusiasm and how the crowd moves as one, you know, it's it's the most incredible thing. You know, we have Nellie's Southern Kitchen. So we have our restaurant in North Carolina now and in and in Las Vegas. And I'll meet these people mm-hmm. and they'll be like, I'm a big fan of your sons. And it's like, I've seen your face. Oh. And they're like, wait, you've seen my face. I said, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen your face. Probably because I spend a lot of time Looking mm. out at the impact, you know, it's hard to describe. You've exactly. been on stage. When you know you're connecting and you see it moving the crowd and encouraging them, there are so many times that I will just look at the stage, look out at the audience, look at the stage, and I end up doing circles, <laughs> just turning around out in the middle of the house at the sound booth at the front of house, they call it, and I'll just turn around and just look, and I'll just circle the entire concert because you can see that communication, yeah. that giving back and forth. And and the artist is giving, whether it's my sons or you or others, the artist is giving, but what's coming back, and I see that expression on their face. So when they come up, it's like, oh, no, oh. I've seen you. And it might have been a meet and greet line. It might have been something smaller, but who knows? It could have been... In that mass setting. And I'm good with faces. So I often will feel like, okay, I've seen you. Maybe it was in that magic moment where there's that almost supernatural connection between an artist and his, his, uh, I hate fan, but his, his audience. The audience, yeah. His, 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 his connected family for the music. It is supernatural for sure. It's It's spiritual. It's unbelievable. All of that. And that's hard to describe. I think True fans feel it. Mm-hmm. Most people have an appreciation for music. There are the occasional people that just don't like music, and <laughs> so I'll funny. never understand that. Uh, that That's just foreign to me. But most people understand at least the appreciation. But I'm telling you, in a live concert, when it really clicks... There is a magic supernatural communication that's happening back and forth. And you don't have to be on stage, even like you said, to experience it. If as long if you're in the audience and you're aware of that and you just choose to look elsewhere, uh, you can you can really find it. No question. And it's really funny. Um, you know, this is one of my favorite subjects to talk about with you is touring and performing because, um, you know, obviously you have been the most encouraging person to me in all of those pursuits. And before my first show, every show, you know, all your advice, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, phrase a question, but really it's just the advice that you always give me um, and well, gave me when I was starting out performing. It's been so invaluable. It's nerve wracking. <laughs> to get up in front of a big crowd. I remember with you especially. <laughs> uh, Gibson Amphitheater. Yes, I was thinking of that. <laughs> yeah, and you had those shows, right? And so you prepared, you worked so hard, you did the first show, and it was good. It was and okay. <laughs> it was good. And especially because it was so new, it was good. So I did what I always do, was give notes, right? Mm-hmm. This, 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 and this. Rarely... You're in rare, rare (laughs) air. Rarely have I given notes and the next show, everything is acted on. 
And that's still one of my favorite shows ever. Oh, I San Diego, it. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So we went from Los Angeles area to San Diego in that second show, and you did like everything I said as if it, it's just normal for your mind and your voice and your <laughs> actions and your body and the stage presence and how you look at and you activated it all. We needed security to help us get <laughs> to the sound booth. Yeah, that's And it right. went from okay and good to, <laughs> oh my God, she's going to be a beast Aww. on stage. So I love that encouragement. Uh, and I've spent my entire life on stage and now training other people to be on stage. So yeah, I love to give advice. So one of my favorite things to tell a new artist is when you're on stage and you look out, catch a set of eyes. If you smile at that set of eyes, depending on the size of the audience, 100 people will mm-hmm. smile back at you because they they move like a unit. And so you catch that set of eyes anywhere in an auditorium and everybody there. And I learned that back in North Carolina when this really pretty girl I was hoping you're came to tell our church and and she was she was had some modest success. I'm gonna try to find uh, her music. Oh, but she had some modest success on the Christian charts. But she was local for North Carolina, mm-hmm. and we didn't have any of that. Where like <laughs> there's a local Christian artist, and she came through. We did some sort of youth concert, and it was my youth pastor, who's now like a regional head for you know this massive mega church pastor, Frankie. My friend, who I named my son after, who oh. just passed away recently. Oh goodness! And then myself, and we're we're like right beside each other. And this girl was singing and smiling, and throughout the entire concert, she was looking right at me, <laughs> and I was like <laughs> melting. Oh! I thought I have met my future wife. <laughs> and after the show, I was like, that was amazing. And my youth pastor said. She was looking at me the entire show. And I said, she wasn't looking at you. And then Frankie jumps in. He's like, you guys are crazy. She was looking at me. And we got into this like fight. We were shoving and pushing oh, no. Christian concert over this pretty girl. And we're pushing each other like, no, it was me. And and we, I didn't speak to Frankie for several days because he pissed me off. Like this good, beautiful, singing Christian girl... She could not have been wasting that smile and eye contact on you. And so so uh, that taught me a lesson that, you know, mm-hmm. the power of eye contact, the power of a smile, the power of moving an audience, a congregation at the time, but an audience, and 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 what you could do with them and the engagement and and that connection, that tie. Uh, I've used that a million times talking to new artists like yourself to just say, look, you know, it's nerve wracking. But if you look out and you catch that set of eyes and you smile, just watch what happens. And there's also that thing that I know I've spoken to you about where in in front of 50 people, they're individuals. Mm. In front of 100 people, it's sections. But in an arena, it moves like one person. So true. Isn't it true? Mm-hmm. And you can feel the entire room move with you with a hand motion. Yeah. And 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 it's been abused so many times by artists, but it's such a powerful thing that you can have that connectivity. Yeah. 
And so I try to encourage, like, experiment with it. Like, have them mm-hmm. lift. Encourage them to stand. And, yeah, I love it when there's an artist like you that actually oh. <laughs> hears it and acts on it. And you're you're linear, right? You've got that side of you that's very analytical. Mm. And so you talking to you is like, you know, giving input into, like, an android. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's perfect. You know, we're both like Star Wars and all that fans. It's like a little R2-D2. <laughs> oh, I, I had this one assistant uh, who, who I literally had just this week mm. had somebody call and they were like, you know, uh, we're considering her for a job. And I'm like, she's amazing. Oh, wow. Hannah. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah. She's incredible. She's so efficient. She's so yeah. good. And one at one point I said about Hannah, you're like a telepathic printer accessory. And she went, really? (laughs) (laughs) And you're kind of like that. That's so funny. As an artist, like I can literally go, okay, I've done this and just like drop that little bit of knowledge into you, that data package. (laughs) And you like act on it. And it's, I tell you, I get such a thrill out of that. That makes me so happy to hear that. I mean, I think it's, You're a printer accessory with telepathic powers. (laughs) Really? Not that you know, not the word of affirmation you expect to hear, but in, no, in any but context, really. <laughs> no, and, and I'm not a Svengali, right? I, I like to deliver it, but most of the time it's like air. And I know mm. it. And I have a responsibility to give it. I get so pumped when I'm able to say, you know, I did this in my now fifty year career. It's amazing. I started traveling when I was seven and eight years old, singing wow. in my little region of the world. So 50 years of being in front of people, I've learned a thing or two. <laughs> and so when you tell people and they look at you and they're like, hmm. I can't imagine that. I mean, that just like hurts me that that would happen to you. And I know that... It happens all the time. And I still have a responsibility to give it, but yeah. it is, it's like, okay, well, don't. You know, I, I've told people more times than I can tell you, call out your social media. Mm. Every artist I've ever had, call out your social media. You know how many artists don't want to call out their social media mm-hmm. because it's embarrassing and <laughs> seems self-promoting and you want the music to do all your battle for you? When you leave a show, you leave with a lot of followers. Why? Because you told them, follow me here. <laughs> right? And I know I gave you that advice. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I've given it to so many others that refuse to say that at symbol with my name. <laughs> that means something. So go there because people are looking at it. Yeah. People that evaluate want to see it grow. You need the followers who will ultimately buy your music. And if you don't tell them to follow you, then you can't be upset if nobody follows you. <laughs> uh, it's common sense. You but know, so many artists are like, well, I don't like to self-promote. You're in the wrong business. Right. And I have that you know, tendency as well, but it's one of those things you kind of have to push through. And, you have to do it. Yeah. Well, you, you could be an amazing artist. I, I remember this one artist when I, when I first went back to work at Christ for the Nations, and, and this person was unbelievable, mm. but said, you know, I write these songs, and it's really between me and God, and I just, you know, it's, it's about this. Well, that's great. <laughs> and he deserves it, and you're his creation, so it's all good. But that is good enough for them Yeah, out there. Uh, I don't know. That feels kind of 
dirty. Mm. It's not dirty. It's promotion. And if it's a gift... Share it. You need it's, to share it's it. It's spiritual thing we were talking about. <laughs> it's the reception and the giving, the reception mm-hmm. and the giving. You know, we wouldn't have whatever whatever word we follow, whatever religion you follow is reception and giving, reception mm-hmm. and giving. And then in music we go, well, I receive it, but, you know, it'll either it does the battle or it's it's not going to happen. No music business. Right. <laughs> There's a business side to the music, and that's the part that's the giving. That's the part that takes some intellect, and mm-hmm. it takes some sacrifice. And yes, it's embarrassing. <laughs> but how many times have you turned around? Now, you do it bubbly and outgoing, but you turn around and say, everybody take a picture with me. Mm-hmm. Now, tag me. Now, you enjoy that. Mm-hmm. The first time, it probably felt really uncomfortable. It, you know, every once in a while, it definitely does. I mean, it, it's funny because shows can be so different. I mean, you know, audiences, it really, it, it's like a day by day, it can be so different. But if it was a terribly dead show <laughs> and you said, everybody stand for oh, a picture. they always do. That's and the they thing. always stand. And, and then you go, your idea. okay, I'm clicking. Well, it wasn't my idea. I wish it was my idea, oh, but, but I saw somebody do it and I went, ah, yes, yes. but telling you it came from mm-hmm, me, right? Mm-hmm. And you take the picture and tell everybody, now follow me and tag me. And you're busy for days following up oh, with all totally. those people. And then I have other artists that leave shows, and they're like, oh, I just don't understand. There was no impact. It's like, well, there might have been impact, but it was passive, and you didn't call people to action. You have to call people to action. Definitely. We, we I, I'm trying to remember where this idea came from, but again, it was probably you of, uh, you know, if you follow me, I'll follow you back or something like that. Or I'll respond. I mean, we've done so much of that. Well, and it's genuinely I'll, fun. I'll take ownership of that, but it really wasn't my idea. <laughs> but but, but I, I tell you, I learned from the old, you know, like traveling evangelist, music evangelist. They would like take your name and address down. Mm-hmm. We didn't have cell phones back when I was a kid. They would take your name and your address and they would send you stuff. Wow. To let you know product was coming. They started a dialogue. That, that was all. And, and they wanted that dialogue. And the ones who were really good, we have no idea how many records were actually sold before the sound scan era. Right. Right? You see Elvis with a gold record. And, you know, my kids have gone gold in a week. <laughs> yeah. And Elvis was Elvis. So if he went gold in his career, you know... There were 20 times that that were probably sold. Right. And that was all a list somewhere that somebody had that reached people and record stores and the rest. But the you follow me, I'll follow you to survive. Right. What we used to do, because I didn't have the cash. You know, I, I've, look, I've, I've had the privilege as a manager of working with families that have a lot of money. And good for you and the fact that those kids have an opportunity and talent you know and i'll i only work with those that have talent right and that's the integrity part of me but you're able to go out there and promote your your child or your children and give them an opportunity good on you for me it was buy something at the merch stand and we'll stay and sign it Right. Mm-hmm. I don't care if that was a two-hour or three. We closed down so many state fairs with a line that was eternal, but I had gas money Yeah. to get back home. And without that, we didn't have gas money. And we were out there. I mean, it was really 
there were times it was really tough, and the credit cards were filled up. So so that that survival technique actually taught me something. Oh, totally. And you know what also taught me something is we were depending on promoters, mm. and we would go into a market. I remember we were in Virginia, Virginia Beach maybe, <laughs> and we get to the venue, and the promoter is like, tickets are not selling. And it was already starting to move. We were the yeah. the guys were already on MTV TRL and they were getting voted up the chart. I mean, they had to change the rules at MTV because of us, right? Wow. Because so many people were voting, they literally changed the rules on us. And so we show up at this show and the promoter's like, nah, I can't sell any tickets. And we were discouraged. Yeah. And the guys were like, Oh, this is so hard. We're spending so much money. And we go across the road to the mall and they get literally overtaken by fans who had no idea that the show was across the road. That's terrible. And they had no idea that that promoter was telling us that he couldn't sell tickets. Same thing happened in Phoenix. Now, this story I've told before, but we're getting calls from this promoter, and he's like, I'm going to have to cancel the region. And it was New Mexico, Arizona, and a piece of, I think, California. And we're on a tour where... If we run out of money or the shows get canceled, we're stuck in yeah. New Mexico. Like, that's it. I don't know where we're going to go. I'm out telling somebody, hey, I need gas money to get to somewhere and not be in the middle of, of New Mexico or Arizona or wow. the desert. And we're driving vans at the time. It's not buses and planes. You know, it's, it's the hard way of doing it. And we had this fan whose mom worked for brands, and she was a PR person for brands. And she said, can I help? And I was like, yeah, we're having all this trouble with, with this promoter who's telling us if we don't sell some tickets, he's going to have to cancel the shows. She was like, I'll do what I can. So she cold called the pop station in Phoenix. And she just literally calls up and says, hey, I'm calling for the Jonas Brothers. They're on tour, um, and they need to really prop up some music sales. Can we do the morning show? Now, we were... The guys were already on Hollywood Records. We had no idea of the protocol, right? Oh. We didn't know <laughs> that if you're on a label, you don't go to a radio station without approving it and going right. through the powers that be at pop. And <laughs> and so we, we, she just did it. I didn't do it. She did it. And so the story I heard later was they received this call, and they're having their production meeting, and and the station manager comes in and says, hey, we received a call. The Jonas Brothers are going to be in market and they want to know if they can be on the morning show. And this was a syndicated morning show that was under iHeart. Not as big as Ryan Seacrest, but regionally big. Yeah. And so they, they're talking about it. And the one DJ, there were two DJs and the station manager, the one DJ, he said, oh, I've heard of the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> and the other guy goes, if they were big, I would have heard about them. Uh, <laughs> joke's on you. <laughs> well, at the time... And so the one guy said, no, 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 they're on the Disney Channel. They just started getting out there and whatever. And he said, if they were big, I would know. And he said, I'll test it. And so he said, he literally went out and he drove into Phoenix and he said he saw a, the most beautiful girl in Phoenix <laughs> at a gas station and he drives up his car and he walks over to her and he says, have you ever heard of the Jonas Brothers? And she said, heard of them, opened up her phone and played Year 3000. Aww. So he went back and he said, we're booking the Jonas Brothers. So they booked the Jonas Brothers, 
and unbeknownst to our label. So that was a separate issue because <laughs> got in all kinds of trouble and I had no idea why. Yeah. Often we were in trouble with record labels for overperforming. That's so a funny. completely different yeah, we could talk set about of that dysfunction. <laughs> so they, the station manager calls, uh, actually the station owner calls, and calls Hollywood Records and says, who the hell are the Jonas Brothers and why are there 500 girls in my lobby? <gasps> girls were calling in from all over the world. It was happening. So if we left it to the promoter, we would have ended up with empty shows that might have stalled our career. But because we hustled and because that PR person hustled, we ended up on a radio station with promotion, word spread, and within a short amount of time, what we didn't know is that the night before we were on that morning show, Hollywood Records was out with another artist, and we had, I kid you not, we had no idea yeah. that we interrupted the radio plan for another artist. Oh, no. And we were just trying to promote a show that was underperforming. But by hustling, we became the story. Mm. And we ended up kind of usurping the radio plan of another artist. But it was not our plan. Of course we not. were just trying of to course. save a show. Word spread through iHeart. If you want some buzz, book the Jonas Brothers. Wow. And so it was the hustle, like not leaving it. Back to the point about, you know, do something. Yeah. We didn't leave it to chance. We sold. You know, we got in trouble with <laughs> Columbia Records and Sony. I got called into a meeting for selling too many records. That, that was the craziest... Yeah, I've heard this one. It's unbelievable. Craziest <laughs> conversation I've ever had with a label where they called me in to say, you would have been the top of the new artist chart, but because you sold so many records, you can't be a part of that chart. It's hilarious. Like, you do hear yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're literally correcting me for selling too many records. Uh, but that was our in our DNA. And, and it's still in my guy's DNA. It's in my DNA with artists as I work mm -hmm. with artists. Like, please, please, I'm begging you. You are great. Being great alone in your closet, in your room, your mom appreciates you, has its value. But if you're going to have a career, please, I'm begging you, don't leave it to a record company. Don't leave it to management. If you are not driving that ship, you are going to fail. If you are not pushing, you're going to fail. And even then, it's hard. Definitely. We know. <laughs> We've been there so many times. It's hard work. And every step you take, there are people that, you know, record companies are built to say no. Radio stations are saying no more than they will ever say yes because they have such limited space. You have to keep fighting till somebody plays you. And when they finally do, they're going to play you in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, it's in true. In Burlington, Vermont. Literally. In the middle, literally. That was probably, I think, my first station. Your first, that's why I brought yeah. it up. <laughs> your first station is Burlington, Vermont in the overnights. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, they'll say to you, eh, we're just not getting people responding. <laughs> it's like, well, they're asleep. In the middle of the night in Burlington, Vermont, everybody's asleep except the guy that's working at, at, at the parking deck. You know what you should do as a new artist is contact every parking deck and say, hey, my song's going to be on the radio in the middle of the night. Would you please listen and call the radio station or send them a text that you like the song? Honestly, Would you do that's that? a great idea. Just came to me <laughs> so for all the new artists out there. I just came up with a plan that's genius. It, it is. When you're given an overnight <laughs> spin, make sure that you call every parking deck and anybody else that works the night overnight. shift. Overnight. 
those overnighters, your family, friends, but the likelihood of having family and friends in Burlington, Vermont, or Peoria, it's important and yeah. it's great, but the likelihood might not be that great that you have extended family there. So call every parking garage, talk to the nice guy or the nice woman and say, hey, listen, I'm a <laughs> desperate artist and I need a few call-ins. I mean, it sounds crazy, but honestly, it's it's nothing, it's not that far from what we've done. This is why I have a podcast. <laughs> exactly. These ideas flow like water. But it's funny because I'm really imagining people listening to this thinking that we're kidding. <laughs> no, we're not kidding. Actually, I'm telling you the honest truth. I'm going to look in the camera. Call the parking garages in every place where you're getting overnight spins and beg them, plead with them. It's called the silent killer. You know, you you've the you've encountered the, the overnights and the early testing. Oh yeah, yeah, yes, yes, because they'll count you out so quickly. And the early testing is not, you know, do you like the song? Because you don't really know that till two or three hundred spins. Do you like the song? Do you think it should be on the station? How does it compare? Mm -hmm. Is it familiar? Before that, it's literally left turn, right turn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's do they turn? Now that it's all digital, have they turned the channel? And if your song is on, the silent killer is they moved from you as an unknown artist with no familiarity. You know, it, it, in in the world we live in today, if Justin Bieber has a song, you know his voice. Right. Right? There's a familiarity. I mean, Ariana Grande has a familiar voice. Luckily, my, vo my boys have familiarity. But if you're a new artist and you're going out there, call everybody you know. Call 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 the civic groups. Call 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 the youth groups. Call call anybody you can think of. Research how many people out there are music fans in an area. Do what you can. Social media it and find your local geo-targeted yeah, area. Geo Whatever mm -hmm. you can do, just don't let your song go out there and have everybody turn the channel because they know exactly now how many people are watching and right. how many people shift. And if they shift, you're dead. Yeah. And then later you're dead if it doesn't place at a certain level because then you're getting actual feedback. But until you get there, it is so hard. You know. We do. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people out there, they're like, you know, it's just so terrible that the song didn't work from my favorite artist. That last song just didn't work. I'm, I'm telling you guys that are watching this podcast and listening to this podcast you have no idea how many roadblocks there are to success. You have a song. It's a great song. It doesn't mean you'll get a single spin. If you're not the priority at the label, if you don't have a great promoter, and you say, well, I don't listen to radio anymore. I listen to playlists. If you don't know or somebody in your camp doesn't know or have influence and can get you on some playlists, Everybody wants New Music Friday. Major artists, my own kids who have a lot of success, don't always get New Music Friday. Yeah. And if you don't get New Music Friday, it's over, but it's not. Like any playlist, like especially if you're a new artist, you need, I don't care if you have like a hard rock song and they they give you mellow music for meditation Appreciate the playlist. It's an audience. Exactly. Do whatever you can to be in front of people that make those choices and do whatever you can to support it. It would be better for them to call you out for manipulating than to let it die its death without its proper opportunity. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is hustle. Now, some of it is influence. 
right? So if you're a priority at your label, you're a priority with your manager, if the right calls are being made. But even then, it's not easy. Yeah. The hustle that you have, the crowd you're developing, because imagine you go to a label and you've been working your social media. They'll say, well, how's your touring? <laughs> and if you say, well, you know, I'm growing my touring, they'll say, well, how are, how are, how are your streams? And, and the metrics say, are always changing that they're looking at. And they're at. always changing, <laughs> and it's always evolving. And the minute you think you have it together, and I've answered one, two, three, four, five questions, they'll come out with some zinger, some left-field thing, and they'll tell you that, yeah, the audience is not speaking back over here in some, you know, third-tier social media site right. that you didn't even know existed. <laughs> I remember, you know, we've been at this long enough that we were on MySpace, mm -hmm. and then people started talking about this new thing, Twitter. <laughs> And Joe said something like Twitter, Twitter, twat, whatever. <laughs> like <laughs> he had no idea what the name was, and it became it. So then we migrated there, and it was YouTube, and it was Facebook, and you know now Facebook is for the old generation, <laughs> for a lot of the people that are listening to music and are the core group of people that are being evaluated for music. You have to go where they're going. I, I, I tell you what, you you know my frustration with this. Go to TikTok. They're discovering music right now on TikTok. Yeah. You've got to figure out your strategy there. And if you dance, dance. <laughs> if you sing, sing. If you don't, do commentary. Make up a funny skit. Find somebody <laughs> who can make up a funny skit. Follow a trend. But if people are discovering music there, figure something out. Because if you don't, you know, one of the major areas of music discovery today is left out of your arsenal, and I guarantee yeah. you they're going to go and look at how many people with your sound are activating on your song, and if it's not where it should be, some of the influencers out there in the very areas where you really need support are going to shrink back a little bit and withhold their support yeah. until they see some action. Well, even major artists have been complaining about that. Have you seen that like on, on social media? They've been saying like, oh, I can't release this song because the label wants it to be viral on TikTok first or something like that. Halsey. Yeah, that's who I'm thinking of. <laughs> I mean, I, look, I, I actually love Halsey. Mm -hmm. uh, I think she is a real talent. I really do. Yeah. And her songs, unbelievable. But she goes on saying, hey, my label wanted a viral moment, so make make it happen. Well, with, that went viral. <laughs> and that went viral and, you know, may have helped, but it's always been there. Mm -hmm. you know, and whether it's TikTok or Twitter, MySpace, you know. MySpace or, you know, I, the Partridge family. Mm -hmm. You know, Greg, uh, the older brother, gets a record deal and his voice has totally changed and his song has totally changed. And he asked them, like, why, why did you sign me? And they're like, well, we knew you'd fit the suit. And they oh. hold up a costume. And they signed him because he would fit the costume. And it was, that's I remember, even as a child for me, wow, that's a truth. That That's actually an insight into not just the music business, but all of entertainment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, you know, if you fit the suit, if you're popping over here, then that's where we'll go. And I... I there are, there are some wonderfully creative people, and there are some people with incredible antennas, and I've been fortunate to know some of the best ones, that in, in the music business, in the record business, in the radio business, 
but they're still looking for indicators. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's really unfair. I remember going into a meeting with the head of Columbia Records, and he said, uh, Kevin, got some bad news for you. I said, what? He said, the indicators are just not there for success for your sons. <laughs> oh, really? Oh. Uh, what are you looking at? Now, back up, the previous weekend, the guys had shown up at a mall to perform in New Jersey, and state troopers had to be called in. All the shops were closed, and so I'm having this discussion. He's like, the indicators are just not there. And I said, what? did anybody tell you about this weekend? And that's happened across numerous artists. Mm-hmm. That's happened with you. Yeah, smaller scale, but... <laughs> well, they were starting at that time, and there was definitely a wave, but the same principle. Yeah. You've had successes. You've been in front of a lot of people. The indicators are just not there. And I get so frustrated. It's like, can't you just accept that this area is popping and will lead to other areas popping? Right. Do you remember what I told you early on? And I'll do this with every new artist. I'll hold up both hands and say, you know, we're going to tickle everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're going to tickle social media and touring and merchandise and lifestyle and recording and publishing and syncs and so all these things. But eventually, something will react. And yeah. when it does, all hands on deck. Because if it reacts and it starts to go, all areas will pull up with it. So you're looking for that moment where something reacts. Definitely. And the uncomfortable part is when you're, when you're dealing with an industry where they can't take a lot of chances like they used to. They can't wait three mm. albums for a person to pop. So they're, they're, they're looking for indicators. And if they're looking for indicators, then where are they going to go? They're going to go to TikTok and the song that went uber viral, which, mm-hmm. by the way, those kids, unfortunately, that have that viral song, record companies come and ride that single out, and I've been there too many times. They ride the single out, and then they go to the second single, and it doesn't give, get the same push from mm-hmm. the record company because it doesn't have the same indicators. So we're not building a career. We're chasing a song. And if you're wondering, where are the great artists popping today? There's not a lot of development going on. Yeah, that's so true. So you need to be the one responsible for finding out what will react. If you're a great artist, something will react. And when it does, pounce. It'll pull other things up. Because I guarantee you, the minute you think you have it figured out, they're going to find an 11th finger. Oh, totally. That's happened so many times. (laughs) They're going to find that thing that you never thought about. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, how how many of your images are being shared across Pinterest? (laughs) What? Yeah. Or in in our case, what happened a lot, um, you know, you've probably been through this with other artists, uh, where it'll be like, okay, uh, the powers that be are focused on sales, and yet we're on today's top hits on Spotify getting hundreds of thousands of streams, you know, a week. But they're focused on iTunes sales and then and then is literally iTunes sales when, you know. Yeah. And, and it has mere shifted. months later. Yeah, exactly. Mere months later, that Spotify traction has died down because it wasn't acted on. And now the only thing people are talking about is Spotify. Sales don't matter anymore. <laughs> you know, that's just one example. Happened with Shazam. You yep. know, same thing. So it's, it's really all funny. All these points, all these indicators, <laughs> and you're constantly chasing them. Mm-hmm. Now, a hit does a lot of battle for you. Mm-hmm. But you can't tell me that Love Bug wasn't a hit. 
it peaked in the high 30s on the top 40 chart. And it's not everything, because clearly that's one of the most, you know, loved Jonas songs. And the, that number it's, on it's, the chart, it's, you it's, know. It's my favorite. Mm-hmm. It is my favorite overall. It's the only song that I walked in. Now, I felt that way about Sucker yeah. as well. But it was the only song in the early part of their career that I walked in, heard it all the way down, the talking at the beginning, all yeah. the way through the big moment, the head-banging part, and the shouting mm-hmm. and all the rest. And I turned around and I went, congratulations, this one is perfect. The problem was Jason Mraz had a massive acoustic guitar hit at the same time. Oh. Oh, wow. And so there wasn't room for two acoustic guitar-focused smashes. And of the two, his ran and Love Bug did not. Oh, wow, that's Didn't make it any less a hit but they had an existing audience that then adopted it and made it their own, and that can happen. But in the world you live in today, exactly what you're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, it, it moves. And they tell you, you know, take the initiative. One of the things that I hate that I know we've dealt with with your <laughs> career is they want it to be organic. Mm-hmm. You know where I'm going. I'm going with this. Well, we've been sort of talking about it. You know, people just say, oh, let's just see how it does. Let's see how it does. <laughs> Don't rally the troops. Yeah. Right? So so the industry folks will tell you, don't rally your fan base because we need it to be organic. And this then so odd. without exception, two to three months later, what do they come and say? You tell me. Well, it's basically it's your fault. You know? Yeah, it's your fault because the audience didn't respond. Right. It's like, wait, wait, you told me to not encourage the yeah. audience to respond. And so the powers that be, these radio heads so <laughs> that, that are, are all-knowing, right? They want it to be organic until there's no response. And then they look at you like, why didn't you rally the troops? It's, it's really funny. And that is a bit of the dysfunction that can drive you crazy on the manager side and on the artist side. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, rally the troops. Definitely. Right? Your career is in your hands. You can't blame others that something didn't work if you have not pushed the gas. Totally. And you have so many. I mean, we could go on and on with your stories of, of, of early in uh, you know, the Jonas Brothers career. We were relentless. Now, when it really started to happen, it was organic. Yeah, of course. You can't, I mean, you can't make that happen. <laughs> no, I mean, we, we, there were times, yes, we did bus in fans. Right? It's amazing. That's, that, that happened. You know, when the guys were going to be on MTV and we had fans in New Jersey, but in the middle of the day in New York when most people are in school and yeah, it's cold outside. So we rented some buses and took all these fans from this dance school that were real fans the boys had performed in front of, and we bust them into Manhattan, we took initiative. We didn't leave it to chance, and yes, a crowd was there, and yes, they a were A genuine crowd. And they were all real fans. Yeah. And that created, I think, part of the, the impression that a lot of people show up, and they just happen to be female, and they're shouting, <laughs> and they're going. But it was genuine. We just made sure we didn't leave it to chance. But once it was really going, they're still calling you out. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember this one conversation. It was the head of Top 40 Promotion for Hollywood Records for New York 
East Coast. And he called and he said, hey, you need to stop what you're doing. <laughs> and I said, what are you talking about? At this point, it was clearly on fire. What are you talking about? You've clearly hired a marketing company because <gasps> Z100 is getting hit hard and it's coming from one number in New Jersey and you've hired a you've hired a marketing company and they're calling the station so much that the station's getting irritated. That's just a fan. I said, call the number. Yeah. Call the number. And he said, what? I said, call the number. Put it on speaker. He called the number. It was an answering machine. Hi, my name is Melanie and I love the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> They thought we had hired some phone bank. That's surprising. I mean, I, that's, I'm surprised you didn't have more people calling like that. We did. <laughs> yeah. And people didn't think the it was sincere. That's, a, that's what happened. MTV is one of my favorite stories because mm -hmm. we were, the guys were on MTV, and it was the Mandy video, the first one mm -hmm. of the three. Uh, Andy Timoner, who is you know now a celebrated, even then was a celebrated director, oh. and we had her for all three versions, and the first version went live, and poof, it just exploded. Wow. And people were questioning, you know, right away. And, but the, the, the phones were just lighting up and that's the first wave was really from TRL. And so it's popping in and it's going crazy. And, uh, so MTV decided we need to change the rules because of the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> so it had always been total request live, TRL. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they changed it to chart position, radio position, and request. Uh-huh. Well, too many requests. <laughs> too many requests, and it was weighting us as number one far above anybody else. So they decided to, to make it fair to others. Now, they've never done this ever, to my knowledge. That's crazy. So they, they shifted it, and then suddenly it was not only the request, but chart position, radio, et cetera, sales. And so they changed it. The Jonas fans got together, and there was one family in particular that, that were uber fans, uh, well-known to the fandom, and still, you know, people that I really oh. do appreciate today. The dad happened to be like a top-level programmer. Oh, wow. And he said, here's what we're going to do. And he spread word through the fandom worldwide that we are going to hit MTV at this hour, on the hour, from all fans around the world. Wow. They made it their mission to shut down MTV servers. What? At least once a day. <laughs> and MTV literally said, Jonas fans, we've heard you. The rules are back the way they used to be. Change, change the rules back because it was like we were shutting down literally a pointed attack. Now, I don't recommend that for everybody <laughs> out there. If you have a, the right number of people and they all hit in the second, on the mm. second, in the same minute, on the same hour, you'll shut down any server. Yeah, I guess that's no true. No one's equipped for that kind of traffic all at once, uh, except Google, except, you know, the majors, <laughs> you know. So doing that all at once can really trip up anybody, and back then especially, but it was a targeted attack. Uh, I love it when fans get to that point. Well, look, we're, we're going to be able to do this a lot. Uh, oh, yeah. I There's so much to say. We're going to have to wrap it up, but uh, man, I have fun talking about all these things. Well, we're always doing it, you know, just the two of us or over the phone or something. And now, I mean, there's and a great story. And we processed stories. so much of your career mm -hmm. and so much of the career of the other artists. And by talking about these stories and talking about what we can do, and I think it is worth it 
to try to speak to the artists that are out there and the managers that are out there and just give some encouragement, uh, even though there are obstacles, give some encouragement because I've loved our time brainstorming. What can we do next? And honestly for the fans, because at the end of the day, it comes down to what they can do. You know, I, I am convinced 200 loyal fans can build a career. Definitely. So stay with it. Stay with your artist. Well, thank you. Thank you very so much. much for taking the time to do this. This and, is so uh, fun. Shoot some questions at me. I hope I didn't talk too much. No, I hope that, you know, there's, I can ask you so many questions. So that's just a we'll very few. We'll pick this back up. <laughs> and it's great to have you with us. If you listen today, please consider rating us and come back next time.